goes like this. So this is my soil, said the tree to the worm. Your kind don't belong here, said the dirt to the rain. Get lost, you're making me wet. And so the tree and the worm and the dirt and the rain negotiated an agreement. So there was no turf stealing, and this thrived as a forest ecosystem that we know today as the Great Sequoia National Forest. Now, if you weren't aware of this forest, it has acquired 1.1 million acres of forest in Southern California. That's a lot of forest and a lot of growth, right? And so may we think of this story as an example of how to come together in relationships that have been created by God. Imagine if there was no coexisting of soil and water and worms all mixed together to create this amazing forest. It would simply be a ground of dirt, brittle and scorched with worms just drying up on the top. There would not be a vast thriving forest of trees filled with birds and other living creatures. Nothing would survive on its own. And it definitely wouldn't be a vast a way of life thriving on a million acres. We know when these things work according with God's great design, all is good. And this not only works within nature, but it works in relationships as well. Unfortunately, our human nature intercedes and changes up things a bit, right? Perhaps a lot. And we get complacent, self-centered, unwilling to admit we are wrong, unempathetic, and socially charged up by what we see and hear that we ignore and we react not in God's image of who he created us to be. He created us to be holy. He created us for relationship with him. He created us in relationship with one another in community. This will be the third Sunday that we've spoken about our theme for this upcoming year, Becoming New and Laying the Foundation of Transformation. And today, we'll hear how we can be transformed as a community. We will be in the book of Ezekiel today, the 37th chapter. Um, and Ezekiel is a strange character. And I'm telling you, the more I have read into Ezekiel, I really like him. Um, you know, God spoke to him in visions, as Adriana had shared with the kiddos. And that is basically how this whole book goes. Ezekiel goes kind of in and out of these trance-like states at any given moment. And to be inside his mind would be like watching a movie inside one's head. I can imagine that. Ezekiel makes sure to say to those he asked to speak with, the Lord's word came to me. Whether they listened or not, they would know that it was from God. Then they would know what to do. God continued after he instructed Ezekiel to say that. Hey, human one. He always called him human one or the, the God man. Then he can, continues with instruction. Stand on your feet. Take a sword. Take a brick. Face this way. Face that way. But the last three chapters before Ezekiel 37, it is, he has been given this prophecy of the matters critical to the revelation that God has given him concerning the fate and the future of Jerusalem. So let's turn to Ezekiel 37, starting with verse 1. If you would please stand out of the reverence of the Lord, if you are able to. 
The Lord's power overcame me, and while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. He led me through them all around, and I saw that there was a great many of them on the valley floor, and they were very dry. He asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophecy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I am about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews on you, place flesh on you, and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied. Just as I was commanded, there was a great noise as I was prophesying, then a great quaking, and the bones came together, bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and then they were covered over with skin, but there was still no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, human one. Say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, Come from the four winds, breath. Breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as he commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet. An extraordinary large company. He said to me, human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now... Prophecy and say to them, the Lord God proclaims, I'm opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, my people. I will put my breath in you and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile land and you will know that I am the Lord. I've spoken and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. This is the word of the Lord given to us, the people. You may be seated. So what has God gotten all worked up in sharing such a dramatic, illustrated story? Well, a lot, pretty much. Adultery, selfish ambition, rebellion, their unworthiness to him, Repeated attempts at warning them of the fate and future of Jerusalem was only a part of the huge responsibility that God had given Ezekiel. His hope was one, that they would see their faults and have remorse and find hope and restoration that God was not giving up on them and that he was not abandoning them. See, God didn't want them to think that he had abandoned them or that he did not even love them. But as we all should know, as we have raised children, right, we've, or we've experienced ourselves, there are consequences to our actions, good or bad. There are consequences based on our own actions or the reactions of others. The hope is that we learn from those results and do better, or at least make good out of our wrongs. As a parent, my hope was at least my kids would have some sort of remorse, empathy, or simply some heartfelt guilt if they were to do something wrong. When they didn't, I was more concerned for their well-being of uh, perhaps doing it again or, 
worse that they were experience their dad's repercussions from it. You know, thankfully, God knew their hearts, and he knows the hearts of our people. In chapter 33 of Ezekiel, it says, There's more, son of man. Tell your people, a good person's good life won't save him when he decides to rebel, and a bad person's bad life won't prevent him from repenting of his rebellion. If they change their ways, if they change their hearts, they will live. God does not play favorites, and God does not abandon his people. He is always willing to find a way to bring redemption, to bring hope. There was collateral damage to God's name by the people's behavior and their rebellious actions with the consequences that they placed on themselves. God hopes in his creation that he created, the people he loves. He doesn't give up just as parents who love their kids with all their heart don't give up on them. So Ezekiel, after several attempts, has been transported to this very detailed vision of these dry bones the desperation that God has here. The bones represented a whole community of people that fell into a place away against and far from God. So much their bodies appeared dry and scattered apart as if they had just been thrown into a pit and bleached out by the sun. Have you ever done something about without thinking about it and then suffered the consequences for it? Have you ever felt ashamed, guilty, remorseful? Perhaps you thought this was the end of all that you had dreamed on about, and there was no way back. The exiles were at this point. They made their bed, and now they had to lie in it, as the saying goes. I would imagine or hope, because we have Ezekiel as an example, that there were those who felt remorse, guilt, shame with their actions but they didn't see any way out. They were where they were and who they were, and that would not change anything. There was no hope in their minds. Have you ever felt so depleted and lost that, from God that you couldn't see a way forward? Perhaps you felt like your actions were so unforgiving, which made you unlovable. God wasn't about to have that happen. He would not abandon them. He had bigger plans for them as he does us. We hear God say to Ezekiel, speak over them, the bones. Speak over my people. Tell them that I am about to transform them back into themselves and give them so much more. And I will give them the muscles and organs and all the things to keep them an active participant. So the bones begin to make a sound. They begin to clatter together. But that's all they were, a bunch of soundless bodies that simply moved around with clatter. But God does more. He says, I will breathe life into them with a new assurance, a new appreciation, a new hope and love for everyone and everything. Then they will know that I am the Lord God. They would be renewed, transformed, given new life, a new purpose, a way out of their past, a way forward to something new. That promise still exists for us today. We won't have to be stuck in whatever situation we've gotten ourselves into. This is all the story of God. 
a holy God who is all about calling people to live a transformed holy life. God has opened the door once again for his people to engage and to be part of his divine plan. Will they take action and take him up on it? Those who do would not be alone, though. We were not made to do this alone. God created us in relationship. In verse 10, it tells us not only did they come to life, but they stood up on their feet, an extraordinary large company. The word they should give us an idea that God was speaking for all those bones, individuals not only coming alive, but coming as God's army. The common English version says large. Other versions describe it as this, um, uh, like the size of a group, vast, exceedingly great. And this large grouping of new life that has been through the ringer and has, give, has life given back to them, the breath of the Holy Spirit living within them are not being left alone in this process. They come together with strength as a community. Now, community in the Oxford Dictionary defines it as a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. Now, we know there are many types of communities. There are family communities, schools, cities, state, etc. And according to scholars, God is referring to the community of believers in this particular passage. John Wesley sees a threefold resurrection in this particular chapter, the resurrection of souls, resurrections of the church, and the resurrection of the body of believers. We have spoken briefly on the first. We'll save the last for perhaps another sermon on down the road, but we're going to focus on the transformation within the church today. They weren't near the making of a church at this particular time in Ezekiel, but community was still important, as we know later in the New Testament, where the churches come together. Verse 11 continues, and it describes the bones as the entire house of Israel. God recognized they felt dried up, hopeless, and completely done with it all. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been times this last year where perhaps you have felt this way just a little bit dried up and completely done with it all. It may or may not have been due to our own consequences, but we have felt hopeless and done with it. I've questioned and wondered what is the making all this craziness with COVID? What will happen to our church here as well as others? We've had to rethink, rework, reorganize the what and the how and the when we do things as pastors and as a staff for our friends in order to follow protocols and to look and care for our people. It hasn't been easy. It has come with a balance of ethics and morals for all. And I only speak from our personal context, but I know it hasn't been easy for any of us. But there is something that we learned though, and I believe something we can look forward to. What we learned <clears throat> was God did not abandon us he walked with us every step of the way, and he continues to do so. But it was and it is going to be different. We could do church virtual. We all can add up the elements of the service, recording the songs, prayer announcements, reading of the word and the message, 
Every element can be added except for one thing, people. No congregation and no life other than us sharing simply within us within this building. We've done that and we'll continue to add that ability to those unable to join us. But there's something vital and different when there is no community coming together in one place, laughing and sharing and crying and celebrating together. It feels very dry and empty, especially when we are giving messages to an empty sanctuary and into a non-responsive camera. Kudos to those who are able to react into a camera and play it off. I am not. It is not my favorite thing, and the staff knows that. I don't like being on there. But the hard part was no community. No community to love our time and our space together, to cherish this. When there are no bodies or spirits joining together, we get a really empty room. Individual spirits are simply that. They're by themselves. There's no dialogue, interaction, or sharing. And yeah, we can do all that with Christ on our own time, but that is not what or how God designed things to be. We were to be in relationship together, not alone. The people of God creating the kingdom of God together. Things simply become kind of a, a ritual when we are not together. Now, we can creatively find ways to do baptisms and weddings and funerals and communion, but in all honesty, they feel empty and powerless without the community of God's people. They lose their meaning when they are by themselves. Individual experiences of faith is much more um, when there is a community of faith to lean into. We teach personal relationships with Jesus and we disciple on personal relationships. And there are quite a few who believe discipleship is actually a personal endeavor, even a private matter. However, life in Christ is a life together. Ephesians 5 tells us, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we celebrate a new life of a child or a baby or the celebration of baptism, a new believer, we do it in the setting of community. Why? Because that life of a child is given by God to all of us. Parents bring their baby to promise that they will raise them in the fellowship of the church. The baptism is a witness to the people of God. Extreme circumstances, all right, are only held in private for both. Those are, there are a few exceptions. But because the church comes alongside this new life as a solemn promise that we will be stewards to both. I've done a, a number of weddings and funerals, and we've always told our kids that when they plan on getting married, even if there was a quick ceremony at the courthouse, we wanted to be informed and invited. We didn't want to, them to be able to do it all by themselves. Plus, we wanted to be a part. Our youngest daughter, Colleen, and her husband now uh, needed to do legally have her name on some papers so she could get her name on some other papers, military stuff, as some of you will know but the timing was all off. So we, Kevin and I, met them in Vegas to do just that, legally have their name put on paper. But we knew beforehand that that was only the start because we wanted to be able to come back together, to be able to share with her family, her church family and her friends and, and 
family together. We wanted God to be in the center of that, to acknowledge so that we could come alongside of them and support them from here on out in their marriage. COVID hasn't really allowed some of our ceremonies and celebrations to be had. These are important life markers. With understanding, hopefully, has only been for a season and not much longer. Our greatest fear as pastors has been seeing the life of the body of Christ separated, isolated from one another. And I believe God saw this with the exiles. Like them, it is here where we might find ourselves a bit alone with our issues, justifying our personal actions and emotions, feeling like God has forgotten us. These issues cause a ripple effect of excuses to not engage in life individually or together as the kingdom of God. God did not abandon us. And we have found the means to engage to the best of our ability through social media, giving us tools to make the best of our horrible situation. And I anticipate that some of these means will remain as part of our DNA here as a church and a community from here on out. For God can be in all places and spaces at the same time when we come together in accordance with him. So I challenge those who are watching to leave a message or an emoji, letting us know that you are participating with us. Because God has met us here, and God has not abandoned us. He will meet you where you are at. He knows our hearts, and as long as we are coming together, whether that's through social media or here in this building, to the best of our ability as a community, Jesus will meet us wherever that may be. So what does that look like as a new transformation as a church and community? That's a question waiting to be made. But I can say we need community to keep us accountable, to inspire, to witness, to share. A place to share our stories of redemption with those who will hear. We need each other. I know this isn't a new thought for you all. We have a very loving group of people here. But as we have come through a crazy 10 months, I believe it's important for us to rethink, revisit, and double check how we are doing. We've been living differently and doing life differently. We can ask the question, what transformation has taken place already within you and within our community? Have you all seen the slogan in town? One town, one team, right? It has kind of taken on this reminder that whether you are a student in one of the schools, a business owner downtown, or an individual in our community, that we as a whole make up a larger community. And as people of God, it begins with us as a whole in demonstrating what a community of God's people looks like for the rest. It is vital. We must also recognize that it isn't just our church set aside for the community. We belong to a community of other brothers and sisters in Christ right here in Mountain Home who attend other churches and temples and synagogues. It's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God when we are all living together under, under the lordship of Jesus. In fact, I don't know if some of you know it, but just this morning, there are two different denominations meeting together and worshiping God. It's a step forward to reconciling differences even amongst the churches. It's a beautiful thing, the 
the kingdom of God. The church community is one where Jesus expects the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be reflected within the community of believers, to be and reflect a church of holiness. In order to be a church of holiness, we must take our eyes off of ourselves and focus on God. When our focus is on God, when we come together, we receive grace from him. Because we receive grace from him, it is only right to extend that grace to others. And when that grace and holiness are one, we see healing against prejudice, discrimination, and discord. We come to be united and in relationship with each other. That was God's plan for the Israelites. That's his plans for us as well. Remember our story of the soil and the worm and the rain and the tree? When things come together that seem a bit different and not connected together, the power and creator of God will push through and will proclaim it. It is good. I will put my breath in you and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile land 